Our scripture this morning and throughout Lent is going to be the crucifixion accounts of Jesus. And so today we are going to begin in the Gospel of Luke. And so I ask that you would listen for the word of our Lord. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him, saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, remember, then he said, Jesus, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. And he replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus crying with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last breath. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly this man was innocent. And when the crowds who had gathered there for the spectacle saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. But all his acquaintances, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray that you would allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. An interesting spiritual exercise that you and I have the ability to do is to be able to pick up our Bibles and to to read the accounts of Jesus' life from each of the gospel writers' perspectives. In fact, we who have lived since AD 300, and maybe even more so since the invention of the printing press, we have an incredible advantage. We have all four Gospels of Christ always at our fingertips. And because we have this, we often mash all four Gospels together and take a comprehensive view of the life of Jesus. And so at Christmas time, our creches have wise men and shepherds, which of course is a combination of the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Luke has no wise men, and Matthew has no shepherds in it, but our front lawns have both. And on Good Friday, we talk about the seven last words of Christ from the cross, which of course is a merger called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Incorporated. Now there's nothing wrong with this. We need all four gospels to gain a complete and comprehensive understanding of Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection. I personally have some traditions as a pastor that I go through every year. Things that I can do to personally hear the words of Christ and in the weeks leading up to Good Friday, I read over and over again those last seven words of Christ. 
And if I get a chance, I will oftentimes go to another church to hear the various interpretations of those last words and hear various musical compositions because it's different sitting in the pew listening to it than it is standing up here and talking about it. It's always different as a participant. So this Lent, what we're gonna do is we're gonna watch Jesus' crucifixion unfold from the unique perspective of each gospel in isolation. You know, that is how the first Christians saw Jesus after all. They didn't have all four gospels compiled into a book called the New Testament. The New Testament didn't actually come along until somewhere around the time of AD 300. In fact, the Bible as we know it didn't even exist until about 300 AD. All a local congregation might have would be Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or one of Paul's letters, and they were passed around to all the different churches as cherished documents. And they were used to understand the life of the man that they were seeking to remember and to follow. Combining the Gospels and all the other books came much later. And so just like the infancy narratives of Jesus are a little bit different in each Gospel, so are the ways that each Gospel writer approaches the story of Jesus' death. And those different understandings of Jesus' life follow through in each one of the Gospels. If you remember, Mark had no time for inf infancy narratives. His birth story is just seven words long. His gospel moves quickly from the baptism of Christ to the mystery and the shock of the resurrection. Luke, when he opens his gospel, focuses on Jesus being born in a stable because there is no room for them in the inn. And then he moves into this preference for the poor throughout his gospel. Matthew, on the other hand, considers Christ as a king. He is one who is visited in a home by the Magi, one where there is consideration for middle-class people, where the poor in spirit are also blessed. And John isn't really concerned at all with the earthly origins of Jesus, but is far more concerned with the ontological origin of Jesus and his presence and participation in the creation of the universe. In fact, in John, it was the words of Jesus that spoke the universe into existence. So when the curtain rises for the first act, each evangelist spreads a vivid picture in that first scene. You never get a second chance to make a first impression, do you? First impressions and last impressions are the most important. And all four evangelists know that our last glimpse of Jesus is what we are going to remember about him forever. That last painting in the gallery, the last photo in the slideshow, the last frame before the picture turns to black. That's what will be marked into our imaginations until Christ returns. And so in Luke's gospel, it's not the seven last words of Christ from the cross. It is the three last words of Christ from the cross. Luke chooses not to mention four of the last seven words. In the Gospel of Luke, in his final precious moments, as he suffocates slowly to death on the cross when breath is scarce and labored, in the few remaining minutes of his life, Jesus chooses to make three final pronouncements. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today you will be with me in paradise. 
And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus dies forgiving his enemies, welcoming a condemned criminal into paradise, and handing back the life that he has lived to the God from which it came. In Luke, Jesus dies exactly as he lived, sharing unexpected, unasked for, unmerited grace with the sinner, the scorned, the banished, the disenfranchised, the undeserving. I suppose that's no surprise if you follow Luke carefully. You will find if you read the Gospel of Luke that Jesus has spent his entire life sharing unmerited grace with people that the rest of the world turns its back on. In Luke, over and over again, Jesus shows his preference for the poor and the powerless and the pitiful. In Luke's Christmas story in the infancy narrative, we notice that before he is born, Mother Mary sings her song that later generations will call the Magnificat. God has shown strength with God's arm. God has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and the rich God has sent empty away. We notice in Luke that Jesus is not born in a comfortable middle-class home, but rather he is, built, he is born in a crude stable built for animals. He shares the plight of the poor and the homeless, the loneliness of a stranger. His first congregation is not comprised of kings from the east. It's comprised of shepherds from the hills. We notice when the curtain rises on Jesus in the first act, Jesus is preaching a sermon so comprehensive and so controversial that it makes his whole congregation of his friends, his friends, so mad that they want to kill him, literally. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release to the captives, pardon for the prisoner to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, we notice later in Luke that Jesus will tell a story about a younger son who squanders his father's inheritance in easy living and ends up feeding pigs. And then when he comes to his senses and hurries home, he's welcomed by his father, who's waiting with a robe and a ring and a feast. We notice that only in Luke's gospel does Jesus tell us the story of the rich man and the beggar that he ignores as Lazarus is outside his back door scavenging the garbage. We notice in Luke's gospel, the hero of one of his stories is a hated foreigner. And all the villains are accepted, are, are respected clergymen. And Jesus has the nerve to talk about a good Samaritan. In Luke, he's the only evangelist to share this unpleasant glimpse into Jesus' misplaced loyalties. In Luke, Jesus has spent his whole life sharing unexpected, unasked for, unmerited grace with the sinner and scorned and banished and undeserving. And now in Luke's finale, Jesus will die exactly as he lived. You know, that's the case in our lives. We do die as we live. 
Bonnie and Clyde died in a hail of bullets. So did Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They died just as they live. And Les Miserables, Inspector Javert lives his entire life in chilling adherence to the rigid letter of the law. And when Valjean frees him in a moment of unasked for and unmerited grace, Javert throws himself off a bridge because he can't stand to be forgiven. After waging a war that killed 40 million people and nearly an entire gen uh, race of people in genocide, Hitler turns his shocking brutality against his own person, dying as he lived. In contrast, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great Lutheran minister in Germany at the same time, spent the last weeks of his life preaching the gospel to his fellow prisoners. And like his Lord before him, he cared for the prison guards. And three weeks before the Russians liberated Berlin, the Reverend Bonhoeffer faced the court without formal accusation, without defense counsel or witnesses, just like his Lord before him. And then they stripped him naked and led him to the gallows and hung him, just like his Lord before him. The camp doctor wrote of Bonhoeffer, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer kneeling on the floor praying fervently to God. I was most deep, deeply moved by the way this lovable man prayed, so devout and so certain that God would hear his prayer. He then climbed a few steps to the gallows, brave and composed. His death ensued after a few seconds. In the almost 50 years that I worked as a doctor, I have hardly ever seen a man die so entirely submissive to the will of God. Can you hear the faint whisper of the echo of Jesus' voice? Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Bonhoeffer died just as he lived. The night before he died, Martin Luther King spent the last hours of his life preaching trust in a faithful God. God has allowed me to go up to the mountain, he said, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land and I may not get there with you, but I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Martin Luther King died just as he lived. Do you ever wonder what Abraham Lincoln did on the afternoon of April 14th, 1865? Would it surprise you that he actually signed a pardon? A pardon for a Confederate spy condemned to execution. You know, in life, Lincoln was forever enraging his generals by signing too many pardons for sleeping sentries and deserting soldiers and battle-weary cowards. And at the cabinet meeting that morning, President Lincoln addressed the Confederate spies petition for pardon and said, well, I think this boy can do us more good above ground than underground. Mr. Lincoln died just as he lived, showing unmerited grace toward the sinner. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you remember how Macbeth becomes the Thane of Cawdor? At the beginning of the play, Macbeth bravely defends King's, King Duncan's throne by putting down a rebellion by the Thane. And as a reward, Macbeth becomes the new Thane of Cawdor. 
The treasonous Cawdor has survived the battle, and when King Duncan asks his son, is execution done on Cawdor? Prince Malcolm replies, very frankly, he confessed his treasons, implored your highness, pardon, and, and set forth a deep repentance. Nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. Nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. The thane did not die as he lived. His life was a treacherous treason and his death a repentance. You know, so much of our life is how we live it. And so much of how our days will end shows how we lived. The Lenten season is a season that the church sets aside to give us the opportunity to look at our own lives. To search deeply for those places where we've fallen short of how God would desire for each one of us to live. To look at Jesus' life and find places where we can follow Christ more faithfully. Because we do die as we live. You could say that of Jesus, yes? Stunning as his life has always been, it's Jesus' death that makes him unforgettable. He's in agony. His breath is short, shallow, labored, and almost gone. And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. How are you living your life? What changes in repentance and turning around will you go through this London season? The journey begins today, for we die as we live.